re the resurrection. And um, Tony ended on some things there in Ephesians 1, which I'm probably going to then build on a little bit as well and some of the things I'm going to say now. But um, we're still letting some people just coming back from their breaks and coming in, so that's good. But let's, let's just go back. We were looking at some of the messages in Acts that were preached. So just, just to get us going on this session again, let's look at a couple of other ones. We looked in Acts chapter 2. We looked in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. And as you look through these messages, you begin to realize one of the major emphasis of, of what he's preaching is the resurrection, not the death. Uh, now, the death of Jesus is important. I'm not, I'm not minimizing and, and taking away from the death of Jesus, but I'm just saying that's not what they place the emphasis on. And I do, I do believe many times we've had a shift of emphasis. But what happens is when we emphasize the death of Jesus, you end up actually having a, a, a far more defeated, suffering-orientated church that never really steps into everything that God's got for them. And, um, and when you emphasize the resurrection and get a hold of the resurrection, the, the, the whole nature of the church adjusts a little bit as well. And I'm going to show you the resurrection is very connected to walking in our authority. Different things. But if you look at the different messages, we'll grab one or, one more, two, one or two more of them. Acts chapter 13. This is, this is one of the messages Paul preached. Acts chapter 13. Just notice this over and over again, that their emphasis is the resurrection. And I, the reason I'm looking at more of the, the different messages that they preached is because I want you to see this is not just in one or two of them through the book of Acts. Uh, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. He focused on the resurrection, not the death of Jesus. Acts chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 26. Now, if you remember in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, 2, and 3 is where, where Paul is... Um, Paul and Barnabas, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me. They, they get sent out. And then Acts chapter 13 and 14 continues on their ministry. Uh, at the first part of his missionary journeys, of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of the salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And they found no case for death in him, they asked, I noticed, notice again, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. He's, now he's not preaching to the group. Who Remember in Acts chapter 2 and 3, he said, you guys did it. Now he's, now he's preaching, he's in another town, he's not in Jerusalem now, he's preaching to another group, but he's not saying God's, God put Jesus on the cross. No, you know, if, if you want to say, if you want to phrase it how you want to, but it's interesting. The bit that he emphasizes that God did was God raised him. In the way he presents this, he said, they, they asked Pilate, he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. What did God do to Jesus? Raised him. This is the, now notice this from this point forward, he's kind of taken a couple of verses to summarize what happens. But from this point forward, the emphasis of his message becomes the resurrection. Yeah. You'll see that's, that's verse um, 30. Verse 32, he mentions it again. Uh, sorry, verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. Verse 34, and he raised him from the dead. Verse 37, and he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Do you see the repetition? What's he emphasizing? What, what is the, the focus of the message of the, what, what he's presenting? It is a message of resurrection. So you're talking about Book of Acts Christianity. I'm, I'm emphasizing today what they preached, the message, the actual content. Yeah. Now, they, they, it's not the only thing they preached, the Christ, they preached the, the Spirit upon them. You know, I'm not saying this is the only ever message. But in terms of the, the focus that Acts presents to us, you know, Acts doesn't record every message that was preached in the, in the, in the first 30 years of the church. Otherwise, there'd be very few messages. However, the ones God has chosen to record in His Word, to present to us as the example of how the early church functioned 
so that we can make sure we're aligned with that example, because we shouldn't look different, is God has chosen the messages that emphasize, that they emphasized the resurrection. Now, again, it's all good and well to tell you Jesus loves you to an unsaved person. All good, good and well to say Jesus died for you. But if you leave it at that, you're not, pre you're not, present you're not putting the emphasis away. Acts put the emphasis. You show me in this way. Paul is preaching. This is a bunch of Gentiles, isn't it? This isn't even Jews now. Yeah. Read through the message. Where does it say, hey, guys, God loves you? <laughs> it's not even in the message. Now, that's, I'm not saying that's a wrong truth. That's a Bible truth. But is that what he's emphasizing when he's presenting the gospel to this, this Gentile unsaved? It's not what he's emphasizing. I'm not saying it's wrong to mention that. His emphasis is the release of power that happened at the resurrection. Because that is where you confront people with a real choice. Anyone can believe someone loves them. That's not going to get them to heaven. Anyone can believe someone died. That's not going to get them to heaven. Someone sacrificed themselves. Well, that's nice. I know someone who sacrificed themselves for love too, kind of thing. There's no, there's no real really. But how many of them were raised from the dead? That's where the real difference is. That's where the real release of power is. And that's the bit the enemy wants us to become more and more silent on and not really put the emphasis on. Okay? You can go through verse 37. It mentions, okay, now... Let's look at one or two more, and then I'm going to talk a bit about the resurrection and some of the, the New Testament revelation of the resurrection we need to get a hold of. But that was Acts 13. Look at Acts 17. You see this, rep, this, this, this focus goes right throughout Acts. Book of Acts Christianity emphasizes the, 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 the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 17. Now, this is Paul in Athens. Verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, the spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the cities were given over to idols. Therefore, he, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. I, I was pausing for a moment to think whether I should say something because I know it'll probably offend not necessarily you guys. And I thought, I thought, should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? <laughs> What's okay? I'm going to hold that thought. I, I might come back to it. Let me read the rest of it first. Uh, verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, "What does this babbler want to say?" Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Why? Because he preached to them Jesus and what? The death? He preached to them that Jesus loved them. Is that what it tells us? No. He preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Do you see this repetition going right throughout Acts? I'm not going to say what I was going to say a moment because it'll go because it'll sidetrack where I want, what I want to focus on. That was verse, where was that? Verse 18, jump down to verse 30. Now this is part of what's being preached. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he, whom he has ordained. He has given a this all by they heard him telling them all that God loved them. No, when they heard that Jesus died. No, what the, he's now? What is he's finished his message? What does what part of it does Acts highlight in the next phrase? When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, yeah. some mocked. Well, others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from them. You, you, you can't deny this emphasis in Acts. Well, you can if you want to, if you just want to close your eyes to it. <laughs> now, 
I said I'll tie this into some things Tony, Tony was talking about because he's been talking about authority. See, and, 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 and again, I also said in my previous session that the, who do you think doesn't want us emphasizing the resurrection? The enemy. Well, this all ties together, okay? Because a church that's not preaching the resurrection is not going to see, be seeing many people saved. A church that is emphasizing the death and not the resurrection generally is a defeated church. That generally doesn't walk in, in, in victory. The other thing is, walking in authority requires an understanding and an emphasis of resurrection. So a church that shifts its focus off the resurrection onto the death will also be a church that the enemy is able to walk all over. So who do you think wants us to shift our focus off the resurrection? The Bible emphasizes the resurrection. A church that focuses more on the death of Jesus than the resurrection. I'm not, it's not wrong. to The death of Jesus is a true. I'm talking about focus, emphasis, which one you're emphasizing. Church that emphasizes and focuses more on the death of Jesus will not walk in their authority and will therefore be no threat to the enemy. So who do you think wants to shift our focus? It's not God. The Bible shows us where the focus is. But the enemy wants to just shift our focus just off it. Not in a way that we think we change the message. See, it's one thing for the enemy to totally bring a lie into Christianity. Now he's tried that. He's tried to bring all kinds of lies to throw us right off the, the major truths. But the core of Christianity, we hold to, you know, otherwise you end up becoming maybe a fringe group or a cult group. And he's tried, he's pulled people around with all kinds of things. But you end up with the, the, the Christians that begin to say, no, this is, our, these are the tenets of our faith. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. We believe in all. So now the enemy says, I can't get them to stop believing that. How do I stop them? I get them to shift their focus without changing what they believe. Still preach the death, still preach the resurrection, still preach the cross, but put the emphasis slightly different. So we don't think we're now preaching an error, but we just adjust our focus and emphasis. That is how the enemy can still have you believe the truth, but not walk in the power of that truth because you're, em you're emphasizing and focusing on the wrong bit. How's that, how's that for a crafty enemy? Well, don't you think we should get the focus back where it needs to be? It is true God loves people. It is true Jesus died. But the, the real power of the message is in the resurrection. And that's the emphasis of the facts. Now, let me just quickly look at two things. Actually, first of all, a couple of scriptures. Philippians chapter 3. Now, I have a, an expert who knows far more about these things than I do in here. But, but Tony, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> he's going to think what's he going to ask me Paul wrote Philippians much later on in his life didn't he it's not one of his early epistles okay from what I understand this is not one of his early epistles in other words by the time Paul has written for Philippians I mean he's facing one of his first possible martyrdom I mean he only actually got martyred once this first opportunity to really be martyred he's facing you know he's in prison I can't remember exactly where in the timeline he wrote Philippians, but, it, but it's quite far along in his ministry. So he's been a Christian many years. He's been an apostle many years. He's been all over Europe planting churches. Would you think by this stage, this guy knows kind of a few things? <laughs> in this early, six, early 60s, okay, AD. So this is, this is quite far along Paul's timeline that he wrote this epistle. Now, I say that because, because there's something, you can get revelation out of the timing of when books are written as well. Because actually, um, if, you go to, if you go to Philippians 3, and let, me, let me just illustrate what I'm saying. Philippians 3, I'm going to open it up because I had the bit that I wanted put out in front of me on, in my notes, but I just want to find another phrase in there. Um, 
where's the phrase that I'm not? Uh, where's the one that says, and be found in him not having my own righteousness? There it is, verse, verse 9. Philippians 3, 9. Now, this is not my main point, but I just want to illustrate something. You can, you can learn something out of understanding how, where in someone's ministry he wrote the book. Because the, the, when you realize how long he's been an apostle, how long he's been a ministry in ministry, and how much he's still achieved, has achieved, and yet you realize what he is still emphasizing. You realize this, that he didn't just emphasize certain truths as a young Christian and then think I've grown past those truths now. Okay? For example, how do, how do we become righteous? You, meant, you, you brought up the idea, is it by our works? How many of you became righteous by your works? How do we become righteous? Through faith in Jesus. Paul says there's two ways we become, well, not we become, there's two possible routes to righteousness, although actually one is not really a route to righteousness. It has the appearance of being a route, but it never really leads to righteousness. But there's, right, there's my own works, my own righteousness based upon my own performance, and there is righteousness by faith. So when a, when a person first becomes a Christian, and they receive Jesus, we are made righteous because of our faith in Jesus. So we become the righteousness of God as a free gift. Now, at what point in our Christianity do, are we supposed to shift from the fact that we became righteous by faith to now we live out the rest of our Christianity by our good works? And we, we, we get our righteousness by good works. Is that after being a Christian 10 years? Now, we all say that, but many of us in our thinking actually think, well, yes, I became righteous now by faith, but then suddenly it's all, about, it's all about my works after that, my righteousness, my standing before God. Now, yes, your, your behavior can affect other things, but in terms of your righteousness. Now, notice what Paul, Paul, Paul says here in, in, in Philippians 3. Now, remember, he has, long, he has long been a Christian by this stage when he writes this. It's not a new Christian. We'll start in verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now notice this phrase. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Now that's a powerful truth, but it's even more powerful when you realize he's a seasoned minister who's been walking with God many years. Even this late in his Christian life, he still doesn't want his works to be the basis of his, of his relationship with God. He says, the only kind of righteousness I want to be found in him, the only kind of righteousness that I want to stand before him with is the righteousness I got by faith. So at which point in the Christian life does my faith righteousness become my works righteousness? At no point should never shift that and you learn that from this lesson right here from the man who wrote it way down like further in his life you would think anyone could say i'm a pretty good christian now 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 it's all about my works paul could be the one anyone outside of jesus i think it could have either been peter or paul but paul himself declares after many years as a christian he still says the only one i still want is to make sure i'm still on the faith righteousness you see how you can learn even about the timeline of the book, not just the content of the truth. That to me, I hope you see what I'm saying here. That was quite a powerful revelation when I realized this. There is no point in the Christian life that righteousness by faith becomes righteousness by works. It never shifts. And it should always be righteousness by faith. And the only one that I should want to stand before God based upon is the righteousness which comes by faith. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, that's the side journey, okay? But the next truth is this. Verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, That I may know him. This is, we, we sometimes almost refer to this like it's his heart cry. That I want to know him. Again, how long has he been a Christian when he writes this? This is a man who's been walking with God for a long time by this time. 
years of ministry and planting churches. And he says this, that I may know him, now notice this next phrase, and the power of his resurrection. He is still pursuing after and seeking after after many, many years. He's not, he's not got to the stage where he said, yes, I heard Peter, I heard the best apostles preach on the resurrection. I really know about the resurrection now. I heard it straight from Peter's mouth and I heard John and James preach on it. You can't tell me anything else about the resurrection. Does he say that? No. Does he say, not only did I hear Peter, James, and John, but I am the apostle Paul who has great revelation from God. I got revelation on the resurrection. I don't need to hear any more preaching on the resurrection. Because resurrection is baby milk Christianity. It's the only, because that's what you need to hear to be saved. You only need to hear about the resurrection if you're a new Christian. Is that what he says? Once you've read a few books on it, you don't need to think about it anymore. Is that what he says? That's not what he says. So should we ever shift off our focus on focusing on resurrection Christianity? Or should we get, why did God motivate Paul to write this in the word? Is this just Paul speaking? inspired, breathed on by the Holy Spirit, inspiring Paul to write this late on in his life to teach us something. Doesn't matter how much you know about the resurrection, doesn't matter how much you know about the power of the resurrection, doesn't matter how much you've heard, how many messages you've heard, you don't shift off it. Hold to it. Don't get bored with it. Why? There is, some, there is some very powerful truth contained in this revelation. And most of us have still not seen that truth. You might, how many of you know you can know the information? Jeremy and I were talking about revelation from the Holy Spirit in one of the breaks. You can have the knowledge and the information, but have no revelation on that information. Because the Holy Spirit has to teach it to your heart. This is why you can get people who know Scripture, can quote Scripture, and yet don't have a clue what God's actually saying. You can, you can intellectually study the Greek, the Hebrew, and you, can, you, could, you, can be able to, you could stand up and quote Genesis to Revelation without even looking at a Bible. doesn't mean you know the Bible. You know the information of the Bible doesn't mean you have any revelation of it. Because the Holy Spirit has to bring that revelation. And, and I've said many times, the way I describe it is this, God has written his word in such a way. It's the wisdom of God how he wrote his word. He wrote his word in such a way that it requires a lock, sorry, a key to unlock it. Key is that only the author knows what it actually says, and he's the only one who can actually show you what it says. You can't figure out by yourself what it says, no matter how much you know it. It requires the help of the author. Yeah? That's how the Word of God is written. That's why. It's one of the big reasons he put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Was to teach us and to reveal to us. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, these things I can't tell you yet. Now, physically, Jesus could have told them those things. Could have given them the information. But he knew it would have meant nothing to them. Because he knew... Things he had not told them yet were things that required them to get revelation on, and they couldn't get that revelation if they didn't have the author, the, the, the Holy Spirit. Well, I can't the author, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. So it wasn't until they had the Holy Spirit inside them that Jesus knew that they would that they would have the capacity to grasp certain truths. So he didn't he didn't 
try to try to just teach them to them anyway. Some things require revelation, not new revelation in the sense of God revealing something he's never revealed before, but a, an unfolding and a revealing of things that he showed, even things that are in his word. And one of those things is the, is the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. Most Christians still haven't really grasped the power of the resurrection. How do I know? Because many of them are still defeated by the devil. And they're not walking in the place of the authority. Now, they might, they might be going through some of the motions of the authority, but they're not necessarily seeing the, the, the authority actually change situations. Listen, listen from the Apostle Paul. Why is the resurrection so important? The resurrection is something that we've got to keep our focus on. If we want to get people saved, but we've got to keep our focus right there throughout the whole Christian life. It'll produce two different types of Christian life, a victorious one or a defeated one. Why did Paul, a seasoned minister of decades by this time, still have as his heart cry, one of the things, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Uh, this is this. Now we're going to go there in a minute. This is the same man who wrote Ephesians 1 where he talked about the power of the resurrection. <laughs> and yet he's still crying out, I want to know it. I want to know it. I want to know it. Why? He realized there's something in this and that we need, to get, we need to realize this too. We need to get our focus on this and begin to really seek God. Lord, help me to see and understand the power of the resurrection. Let's go to Ephesians 1, where Tony finished his. I thought I'd get there sooner in my message, but I'm getting it there toward the end of my message. Well, we still got a bit of time. Still got like two hours. <laughs> I know this blends a little bit, and that's good. And Tony's probably still planning on teaching on some of the in some other, other sessions. But, but it's, it's good here because we're talking about the resurrection aspect of it in Acts. It's good to hear things more than once anyway. But Ephesians chapter 1, let's start in verse 15. Now, again, the, these are part of the Ephesians prayers. Now, just because you've heard these prayers taught before doesn't mean you don't need to hear them taught again. Because one of the strong emphases of the emphases... What's the plural of emphasis? Emphases. Okay. I thought that didn't sound right when I said emphasis. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> one, of, one of the strong... One of, was that for, now you got me confused on grammar. Is, do I say it plural if I say one of the strong? No, don't say it. One of the strong emphasis. That would be right grammar, wouldn't it? One of the strong emphasis. It's not a plural word. I'm getting myself totally muddled on grammar here. Okay, well, we'll go with one of the strong emphases anyway. Okay, we'll go with that. One, one, of the strong, <laughs> one of the strong emphases of this passage on this prayer is the resurrection. Okay? It's one, and, and he, he mentions a couple of other things, but actually really hang, he sticks on the resurrection. Now, just because you've heard this taught before doesn't mean I've got all there is to get out of it. Remember, Paul wrote this, and yet years later, he's still crying out, Lord, I want to see the power of your resurrection. I want to understand it. I want to, I'm pursuing it. So let's read this, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. One of the reasons, I'll get to my, my, my book, my, my, my verse. One of the reasons some people are really struggling in some areas in their Christian life is they're not getting a hold of some things connected to authority and the resurrection. They're still not getting it, even though they've heard it many times. And, and to really grasp the authority, you've got to really grasp the power of the resurrection. Yeah. It's connected. You cannot get it any other way. Because our authority... Here's, here's a little clue that might help you see him. Our authority, in terms of Jesus dying, buried, raised, ascending, seating, where is our authority found? Well, we're in him. We went together with, with, with him. But 
Which part of that process do we talk about in terms of our authority? We are, finish this, and we are seated. So in other words, in a sense, the last step of that process. So the authority is connected to we're seated with Christ in heaven. In other words, that's after the resurrection part. So our position of authority is not found in the grave when we're buried with Christ. Is it? So if we're always preaching the death, the grave, the death, the grave, we never reach the authority part. You have to, you have to go through the resurrection and then onto the seating in Christ. But if many Christians' emphasis is still on the death, they're not yet at the, not yet at the authority place. Even though some people might have intellectually heard the information about authority, might have heard some good teaching on authority. Many Christians are actually, in their emphasis, are still stuck on the death and then walking in their authority. We need greater understanding of this. We really need to, to grab a hold of the power of the resurrection. So let's look at this. Uh, he talks about um, verse 16. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That. Now, what does the word that mean in English? I'm, I'm not going into the original Greek here. That. I'm doing this that. because It's, it's reason. It's a reason word. I'm doing this because. Okay? Uh, making mention of you in my prayers that. Oh, sorry, sorry. In this instance, that, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he, he's about to say this is the prayer. This is what I'm saying. Okay? I posted the wrong part there about that. Okay? Making mention of you in my prayers, and then he's going to say, this is what I'm praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Why, didn't he, why doesn't he pray that the Lord may heal you? Or the Lord may meet your needs. Why doesn't he pray that? Because stepping into a lot of things in the New Testament require getting a revelation of some things. Having your eyes open, seeing the truth. Okay? Even in our prayers, a lot of the times, people pray this prayer once or twice and they forget about it and they go back to praying how they want to pray. Because it's a lot easier just to beg God to, to do something for me <laughs> than to, 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 to stick with this. To have your eyes open and to begin to get the light. Shouldn't we pray how people prayed in the New Testament? Well, yeah, we should. And this is one of the ways. Okay. But he pray what is he praying for? A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. How what is that spirit of wisdom and revelation going to do? Verse 18: the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Enlightened means the light's going on, getting light on the subject. Do we need light? Light is revelation. Do we just need intellectual information? No, we don't. We need light. We need the lights going on. In my understanding, I need to be able to see it. And that's, that's only going to come if you really stick with something. You can have notebooks full of information. You can have all kinds of intellectual details, facts, all kinds of things, and still have no revelation. Paul knew they really need to see it for themselves. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, this is the that that I wanted to emphasize when I mentioned the other that. Okay. The eyes of your own understanding being enlightened that you may know. Now, this, this is now where he's beginning to say these are the things you need to get a revelation of. These are the areas your eyes need to be opened in. He's about to list off three things, three areas. That, one, you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's part one. I'm not going to talk. He doesn't really say much more about that. He just mentions it and moves on. Two, See, there's the, if you read this, you realize he's listing off. There's a list of things he's about to list. Three things. One, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Comma, two, you could also put the phrase that you might know. Okay? That you might know, one, the, the, the hope of his calling. Comma, 
second item on the list, that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And, see, usually when you give a list of things, you go this, comma, this, and this. And you're about to give the last item on the list, yeah? And three, that you may know, you can put that phrase in there again, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe? That's the third thing on the list. Now, this is the one he spends extra time on. He mentions the other one. This is the one he dwells on, and he spends the next few verses talking about. What, what does he want to tell you about that power? Which power does he want to know? Does he want you to get a hold of and know and understand the power that God used to create the universe? You would think that's pretty impressive power. No. He says, which power am I talking about? When he says the exceeding greatness of his power, which power am I referring to? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, at which point in history? When he raised him. It's the resurrection power that he wants us to get a revelation of. Now, the reason, and Tony mentioned this, the reason, and other ministers have said this as well, the reason we say that the resurrection is the most powerful thing God has ever done, not creation, a big part of the reason is because in this verse, Paul Paul takes every single Greek word there is about power, and he puts them all in one verse. Dunamis, energia, and, and all the other, all the different words. I can't remember the rest of them now. They're all packed in here. He's trying to find a way to describe how big and, and impressive this power is. And he's saying, you really, you, you need to see this. You need to get a revelation of this. And then you need to begin to realize this is the power that backs me. This is the power that I walk in, that, that, that is backing my life. See, the enemy, the enemy likes to portray himself as an equal opposite of God. In fact, he wants us to think he's big and powerful. He wants to think he, us to think he's intimidating. This is why, you know, any opportunity he can, he'll present himself as this big monster. Any time movies, he can pop his head in a movie and get a movie where the devil's there. At some point in the movie, he might start off as this little guy. some point in the movie, he grows into this giant beast with massive, massive horns that just overpower. Tiny little humans. Wants to present himself like that. Okay? He wants us thinking he's big and intimidating. But the biblical perspective is he's not. He, he is if you are looking at him as a natural human being up against him. But we're not looking at him for, as a natural human being up against him. We are seated in Christ. Amen. What did Jesus say? Us will fight Satan for like lightning from heaven. Lightning means that's how fast it took him before. That was a in a moment, thrown out of heaven, whack, smack on the earth as fast as a lightning bolt. That doesn't sound like he's very powerful, does he? If he can just be flattened that fast. That's why like, I saw him fall like lightning. It wasn't just, ah, ah, it was <laughs> jolt to the power of God. How comparable is the power of God to, to the enemies? There's no comparison. This isn't equal opposites. People think light and darkness are equal opposites. The enemy wants to portray himself like that. But you see, the resurrection where God showed who's boss, flexed his muscles. He said, I'm going to put on a display of my power once and for all. Show just the power, that, the, the, the power difference going on here. And he, he flexed his muscle on the power. You know, this is, I was thinking about this when Tony was preaching, not necessarily because of anything he said, just because of, 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 of some things. But... <coughs> Again, the enemy, like I said, he likes to portray himself as an equal opposite of God. He wants us thinking we're up against something very powerful. You know what? I was thinking this. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bible scholars. I've got a whole room full of Bible scholars. I, I can't really say anything wrong here, can I? I can't get away with it. 
not that I want to. But correct me if I'm wrong. I do not know any scripture which teaches that the devil is the Lord of hell. You show me a scripture which says he's going to rule hell. You know what the Bible says? It says prison. He's as much a prisoner there as anyone else. He's not the ruler of hell. He wants you to think he's got this. Now, yes, there's the kingdom of darkness. Yes, there's different things. The Bible talks about the rulers, the prince, the power there. But actually, in terms of eternity, he doesn't have some great realm he's going to be ruling over as the Lord of hell, ruling all over all, this, all of the souls that he's managed to gain. He's just as much as a prison as the rest of them. Am I wrong? Is there any scripture which says he's the king of hell? But why does he keep portraying himself like this in movies? Because he wants us to think he's impressive. It's his ego. The biblical truth is that he was defeated at the cross. The resurrection was his defeat. See, death was his enemy. Sorry, I said it wrong. Death was his weapon. Resurrection was his defeat. He threw the weapon at Jesus. Thought I beat him. God took his own weapon, turned it around, threw it back in his face and beat him with it. Beat him with death. By being raised from the dead. That's where the victory's found. If it was just a death, wouldn't be a victory. Because death, the Bible says, is, is the enemy. The last enemy that we put underfoot is death. At that point where we all begin to walk in, in, in the fullness of resurrection power, even in our physical bodies. Okay? But when Paul talks about it here, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Exceeding greatness. The English doesn't capture this. The English really doesn't get this. But um, exceeding there. Those two words, exceeding greatness, uh, greatness is the megathos, which is, which is it's, it's mega, something big. And exceeding, the, the, the Greek word there, exceeding, it, me, it means it's hyperbole. Now, I mean, it's not pronounced hyperbole, but in, what is a hyperbole? As a, as a, something that's pushed to the extreme. If you say to you, I told you a thousand times, don't do that. Now, someone might say, you liar, you didn't tell him a thousand times. It's, a, it's, a, it's an accepted figure of speech where we push something to the extreme to drive home a point. It doesn't mean you're lying. Because you it's not meant to be taken literally, it's been, it's, it's, but it's stretched beyond. So a hyperbole is something that's stretched beyond. So the Greek word, that's exactly what the Greek word means, to throw way beyond the normal mark. So the exceeding greatness of his power is incredibly massive power that is pushed way beyond the normal mark. That's what it, that means. Exceeding great power of great magnitude. God took his power and he turned the dial right up. Maximum level. <laughs> he says, I'm going to show you who's boss once and for all. He wasn't doing it because he's got an ego. He did it for us. He said, now you guys need to get a revelation of the power that was released in the resurrection. Because this is the power that backs us and works through us and operates through us. This is resurrection power. And this is the power the enemy doesn't want the, earth, the church to see and walk in. He wants us captivated with the death part of it because he doesn't want, he wants to mask our attention from the resurrection. Don't mind if we mention the resurrection as long as we're not really looking. You, how, how many of you, I mean, what, what do music magicians do? That, I mean, you know, the, the magicians, they, they do a little trick here, but they get your eyes looking there because they don't want you to see what's happening here. Master of distraction. That, that, that's part of how, you know, you know, like little card tricks or little different. They, they, they get you looking one place. They get you looking where they want you to look while they're doing something with the other hand. That's what the enemy does. 
doesn't want you looking where God's telling you to look. I've, I've realized this. We need to stop trying to find in the Bible what we want to see, and we need to look at the things God points us at. And God keeps saying, there, look at that. For example, now this, I'm going I'm to spend time on this. It amazes me how many books are written on the faith of Job. This is just a personal pet peeve, but anyway. Whose faith does the New Testament keep pointing us at? Well, for example, for, for one, Abraham. Keep saying, look at Abraham. Look at Abraham's faith. Look at A. If you want to learn about faith, look at Abraham's faith. And we go, oh, that's nice. Look at Job's faith. Oh, Job's faith. Job's faith. We run after, and God says, I didn't even mention Job in connection to faith. Can you please look at Abraham's faith? Oh, yes, Job. No, no, Abraham's nice. But look at Job's faith. You're going to learn wonderful things about faith looking at Job's faith. God says, when are they going to get it? When are they going to look where I'm pointing them? We do that with other things. There's things that the New Testament keeps pointing at. This, right here. Yes, you've got a whole Bible. but Go look at the children of Israel in the wilderness, because I'm going to mention them multiple times in the New Testament. And I'm going to keep pointing. Look at that group. Look at that group. Look at the wilderness, the promised land. Look at that group right there. And he re refers to it multiple times in the New Testament, doesn't he? What's he saying? Look there. That's where I want you to look. Does the same thing with the resurrection. Look at that. Keep that in front of you. Get hold of that truth right there. Oh, that's nice. But, Lord, the real question I have and this one really gets to me, Lord. Where do the dinosaurs fit in? Because that's the real question. God says, forget about that. Look at the resurrection. Oh, no, no, that's nice. I read a book about that once. But, Lord, the real question I have, this, this is, forget about the dinosaurs. Okay, well, forget about the, the, the thing that really bothers me. Is, is it seven literal days of creation? Or is it 7,000 days? That's what really, really I want to know, Lord. God says, forget about that. Look where I'm pointing you. Master of distraction. The enemy keeps throwing this up, throws up. Okay? We've got to learn to look where he's pointing us. Otherwise, the enemy will have you running all over the place, constantly defeated. This is what Paul realized. I need to keep my focus on the resurrection. Years later, he's still crying out that I may know the power of his resurrection. Why? Because this is what's, this is a big part of a major part of what's going to really get you to step into the authority of who you are in Christ and walk in the place that you're supposed to be functioning in like a believer who's seated with Christ in heavenly places. Victorious church, not a defeated church. It starts right from the new from, from the start of receiving Jesus and goes right throughout the Christian life. Every every bit of it stick your focus there. We're kind of running out of time, and I haven't really gone into a lot more of Ephesians. But the exceeding greatness is a good part of, of, of what we could refer to there. But even after that, all of the words. I won't go into them right now. I was going to go into some of them. But all, all of this whole passage, the emphasis is, I want you to really get a hold of the release, the, the active power that God released at the resurrection of Jesus and what happened at that event, why it's so significant in your Christian life. Because you start to get a hold of that, other things will start to fall into place in your Christian life. Amen? Amen. And from the position of understanding the resurrection power and the power that is toward us and that backs us. Now, from that position, now you begin to face other aspects of the Christian life. Now, we're going to bring this to a close. But I trust you guys have got a hold of something. And I've tried to present it in a way that I want to stir you because I know some of you have probably heard teaching on the Ephesians prayers before.
but it's easy to just hear it, think about it, oh, that's nice, move on. And, and not really see what Paul is trying to say here. And, and to just say, no, we need to come back. We need to be a church that emphasizes the resurrection and even in our own Christian lives. So I hope you've got a hold of that in what I've presented today. And we'll, um, just in closing, obviously, we normally do these on the first, I forget now, first Saturday. First Saturday of each month we do these. The reason I do them free, yeah, I mean, some people, you got to go to Bible schools to get, get teachings like this. And some of the people who come have been to Bible school. I don't have a problem with that. But, I, but I, the reason we're doing this, we're not just doing this like as a Bible school and you've got to pay and register. It's just open to everybody. It's free. It's because I believe we need to increase the level of word going into this nation. And it's time, and we really need to do that. So it's a little bit of a different approach. And, and, and just to, to, to encourage people, the reason we put it in a, in, a, in a regular slot is so that people know when it's coming, even if you haven't had a flyer or whatever else. And uh, you can always confirm if you want to. Um, but, but invite others along, get them and get, get them around the word. Now, we do these Saturday mornings, we are, we are teaching. We just, like you've just seen, teach, teach, teach. We also do other types of things where we have worship, we do other meetings, evening things, we put the other emphasis and move of the Holy Spirit. But I believe that, that there is a, a, a vastly needed, a big need for teaching and a teaching focus even for christians who have heard teaching before we need to shift our focus back into some things that we've let go of and that we've moved off on we shouldn't ever yes move off things one of, one of the biggest tragedies i've ever seen is bible school students who graduate three or four years later they've let go of all the truths you could mention a truth oh yeah no, i remember that truth i heard that one taught and they're not walking in it so we actually got to really pull ourselves back in because we want to see this nation transformed by the, by the Word of God and by the power of God and by the Spirit of God. Amen? So God bless you, and um, we'll see you again soon.